0: I'm Glenn Wheeler, and this is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. Thanks for your support via Patreon.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters. Welcome everyone to this special Mi'kmaq Matters presentation on Halibut and Bay St. George, repairing a troubled relationship. I'm Glenn Wheeler. We're here at the Stephenville Lions Club and live on Facebook. We give thanks for being uh, able to be together. Uh, We honor the Mi'kmaq people who walked right here before us and uh, we, um, we welcome their spirits into the room. Let me, uh, let me introduce the panel, and then I'll explain the format for the first part of our conversation tonight, and um, then at about between 7.45 and 8 o'clock, we'll go to questions and uh, comments from you. So our panel, starting over here, Tom Rose, Uh, mayor of Stephenville Uh, most of you know Tom of course and uh, Tom uh, I guess we can uh, uh, let's just do a little inventory on uh, Stephenville Stephenville of course is the admin center for Bay St George I think it's fair to say
1: yeah correct Uh, we're a regional center Uh, we have about 25,000 people in our catchment area and primarily for business or services health care uh, people utilize Stephenville in the region and mm-hmm. uh, so it's very robust from that perspective.
0: Yes and let's do a little uh, uh, indigenous inventory. Uh, there's um, of course Halibu has an office here. Yeah. We have people of the Don indigenous uh, Center has, uh, has a room here. Uh, it does meetings, is active here. Ulniweg uh, uh, yeah. is yeah. here and what, what have I missed in terms of indigenous infrastructure?
1: Well, I guess uh, from a town perspective, uh, in the early days, uh, when I I worked in economic development uh, as a volunteer uh, for a while, uh, we had done some inventory on Aboriginal businesses, for example, in the Bay St. George region, which was Zone 9. And uh, there was approximately 500 businesses, but there was 20% of them that were Aboriginal-owned businesses. So we approached Ulnawig, who was headquartered in St. John's, and I think Ivan White might have been involved with me. 536. 536, yeah, I worked with Ivan at the time. And uh, we did a submission to Ulnawig, and we said, you know, the bulk of your business is in this region. You need to move from St. John's to St. So that was the start.
0: Mm, Well done.
1: And uh, and then from there, you know, with the... uh, uh, the status of Halapu, uh, that recognition that happened. Uh, Halapu actually uh, set up offices in Stephenville. And then we ended up with Newfoundland Aboriginal Women's Network headquartered here. And then the people of the Don Friendship Center. And in Stephenville, we had a, a business incubator. And Ivan worked in there and he knows all about it. And uh, But uh, it was a business incubator where your chamber of commerce and your government departments and your various components that would be involved with uh, entrepreneurship or business incubation.
0: I want to ask you about that further but before let me introduce Jenny Brick candidate for Western Vice Chief of Halapu and Jenny and I both come from down the Bay uh, the Bay of Violence that is and um, and uh, Jenny, I guess you were, now, uh, Western Vice Chief, of course, Halibut covers a lot of ground. So you're from, all the way down from uh, Flat Bay, Robinson's, all the way out to what? Deer Lake uh, arm where 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 does your boundary stop? Hampton. Hampton. Yes, yeah. So that's uh, quite a lot of uh, acreage for you and mm. uh, kilometers to your car, I suppose.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm good for it, though. I don't mind. I mean, uh, I work with several other indigenous groups, empowering indigenous women. I'm a member of NAN. Um, I'm the vice chair of the Cultural Foundation, so I'm used to being boots to ground and out on the go. So yes. that's that's all good.
1: Great.
0: Welcome. Um. Peggy White, uh, you may know Peggy both as chief of the Three Rivers Mi'kmaq Band and candidate for, for chief. And... Uh, Peggy, I see you're on, you're on the road, too, and you, unlike um, Jenny, you have to car the, cover the entire uh, acreage, so I suppose you're um, covering rich. an area larger than some countries in Europe, uh, <laughs> yeah. larger than the State of Israel yeah. and uh, Luxembourg and Holland, probably.
3: Yeah, we've been uh, on the go for the last few weeks, and, you know, it's been really uh, quite the experience where you see that all the communities are pretty much in the same place that we are. Mm. And uh, it's Mm -hmm. been uh, really nice, and it's also finding the connection between all the community, Mm because it doesn't matter where you're from. You know, uh, my nan is from West Bay, my father's from the Crossing. So it's just, you know, and I have cousins, um, Cox's Cove. Mm. (laughs) You know, Benwasco. It's it's just all over. Mm. We're just one big family. Mm.
0: It's beautiful. And uh, over here on uh, my, my left is Debbie Bragg-Patton, mayor of Kippens. Mm-hmm. And uh, Debbie, you're from, you're from down <coughs> Peggy's way. You, you grew up in St. Fintons.
4: Yep, born and raised by a midwife in St. Fintons. Yep, mm-hmm. and still lived there until I went to university and relocated back to Kippens. I've been there ever since. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. So you come from a, uh, uh, well, ha- St. Finn's is on the list of Halibut communities and uh, you're the uh, the mayor of a uh, community that's also on the Halibut the list. So Absolutely. Uh, yes.
4: Very big Indigenous influence in my life and all my surroundings as well.
0: Mm. Yes. So that's our uh, that's our panel. Um, and um, so let me say a bit more about the topic. Our topic is the relationship between Bay St. George and the Halibut First Nation. Now, I, I should pause to say that it's not only... Bay Saint George that feels some, um, shall we say, remoteness from uh, from Halibut. Uh, when I put out the notice for this meeting, I got a message from someone in Central saying, "What about us? You should do. You should come out here and do the same meeting because we have, we have the same issues. Uh, and of course, Exploits uh, will not have a counselor in the new council because uh, no one uh, no one ran for that seat. But maybe the 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 sting of uh, of feeling not involved or not connected is even more uh, strong out here because um, as everyone in this room will know, um, Mi'kmaq culture was, um, was nurtured, it survived here uh, long before there was Halibut and long before, uh, even before the dawn of the rights movement back, um, back uh, 50 years ago, uh, started uh, by many people from, from here. Uh, And the prize for all this uh, hard work, 50 years, uh, was the formation of the Halibut Band, 10 years old this month. But many people in Bay St. George aren't cheering. Uh, There's a feeling that Halibut doesn't have enough presence in their lives or the struggles. The band offices in Corner Brook, an hour's drive away. There's a government bureaucracy there that provides 50 jobs for uh, mostly in Cornerbrook, but for Bay St. George, um, not so much. So, our questions for the evening: Does it have to be this way? What do people want from Halibut, and can Halibut deliver? Those are our questions. And I've, um, in consultation with our panel, I divided up our our discussion into four sections: culture, health, Economy and halibut structure. And uh, what I'll do is I'll direct uh, uh, for each section one question to each panelist to get us going. Then everyone will uh, engage on that topic, and then we'll uh, we'll come to the uh, to questions uh, from you. Um, and uh, just so that everyone has. Um, has a chance to have a say. We'll uh, uh, we have a timer, two question, two minutes per question, and then if we have time, people can come back and have a a second question if we get through everyone once. Uh, we'll come back, uh, and you can have a second uh, two minute uh, question uh, if we have time. Of course, you don't have to take up the entire two minutes. Sometimes <laughs> you can say things in thirty seconds. Um, 60 seconds, so uh, but uh, two minutes uh, is the limit. So that's our plan for this evening. So uh, first on culture, and um, and Debbie, uh, let me turn to you first. Um, thinking of Kippens uh, mm-hmm. and Kippens, uh, how many people do you think uh, think of themselves as Mi'kmaq, uh, Have some Mi'kmaq status or not status, but have some some ancestry have that identification, and um, if we ask them if they think of themselves as Mi'kmaq, they would say yes. How many, How many? Oh. what proportion of Kippins is
4: Over that? Over 45%. So mm. a large population of Kippins, right?
0: Mm. Hmm. And, uh, and how, how do they, uh, what does um, that identification mean to them? How do you think it uh, makes a difference in their lives? Uh, how does it make them different people, being Mi'kmaq?
4: Well, I, even speaking for myself, I think these individuals, historically, were unable to say they were indigenous, they were ashamed. I know myself growing up, uh, we watched my father make uh, snowshoes, and he tells stories about his ancestors, and he said, your grandmother was Indian, but you can't tell anybody, because you'd be judged accordingly. So we knew we were always indigenous, but we watched my father uh, trap and hunt and do these uh, traditional indigenous um, activities. And then when I moved into Kippins, I realized that I wasn't, that wasn't an isolated incident. When I speak to people, it was global. It was, oh, everybody had the same experience as mine. So then when I came back and I asked, could I join, you know, I tried to join the band council. Oh, no, we already have enough members, you can't get in. I was like, oh, okay, very good. And I accepted that for a while. Then I moved into Kippins and I saw more people were, you know, uh, participating in the traditional indigenous lifestyles, you know, berry picking and trapping and hunting and going to smudging ceremonies and just disrespecting the indigenous way of life. And then not until 20, probably in 2008, we started to, be, you were out there, you weren't ashamed, you were, you were allowed to say it openly that you are indigenous, you had indigenous background, you're, you know, all of a sudden you were, okay, you could speak better freely. And by 2011, you're actually, well, we're being recognized. But it was a whole, I can say from a child and up to a, it was a natural progression of silence to being able to speak about it and then being proud to, be, to talk about it.
0: Let me ask you this, and panelists, uh, uh, feel free to, um, to interject with any comments, but I wanted to ask you, you mentioned the hunting and the trapping, and one issue that comes up is, um, is whether Halibu should pursue uh, some kind of hunting and fishing rights. Um, Uh, of course, Murray Duffy. Um, Is Murray Duffy here tonight? Uh, uh, Murray uh, uh, has been in court uh, as a result of uh, uh, catching fish during the recreational fishery and asserting uh, some right to fish for being Mi'kmaq. But you have other people who want to to perhaps, um, you know, pursue a land claim to provide some basis uh, uh, of uh, asserting some rights. And of course the answer is um, Halibut is a landless ban and therefore we can't we can't do that. But leaving that aside, what do you think uh, it would mean for people in Kippens or in other communities if there was a uh some discussion about land claim and pursuing uh hunting and fishing rights? Do you feel that would perhaps animate members of Halibut and make them feel um Perhaps uh, more Mi'kmaq, more indigenous, more that there was something more relevant to their lives if if that was done. What are, what what are the panelists' thoughts on on that?
2: I think so for sure. I think mm-hmm. that it's uh, something that other indigenous groups do have access to because they have land rights. So I think that for Halibut members, that's something that makes them feel maybe less indigenous than other yeah. groups. I don't know what you guys think, but mm-hmm. I know I for agree. myself, I. I've thought about that before.
4: Right. Yeah, we're a landless band, and yes, we are. You know, we great. We are all admitted to the Halpu band. However, we we have not been afforded all the same privileges as other bands in Canada. We really haven't. And you look at food security. Well, I know I hunt to feed my family. I mean, I live moose. I eat moose, and lots of people do. And if we look at the way this island is going, and we have about two weeks food supply if we stop getting our ships in. This is a necessity. This is not for fun or pleasure. This is a necessity. It's, it's called food security, and I think it's essential.
1: Yeah, if, if I could maybe just step into and add to the conversation. Uh, when you look at the island, we're, like Glenn alluded to, we're, we're larger than Germany in landmass, mm-hmm. Most of the land in Newfoundland is actually government-owned land. Uh, actually, we're one of the areas that have the most private land ownership in the province, this region, Stephen port a port region. But when you look at the rights, uh, I think it's uh, we should be establishing rights, but the resource must be managed also. And that's where science comes in. And it's no different than the science of what vaccines mean. But the science of managing your herds and in the early days of indigenous uh, uh, habitation on the continent, they actually managed their species. They they took fish eggs sometimes from one stream that uh, was producing really well and they transferred to another stream. They sometimes, they set fires into valleys to make it more fertile to draw animals in. So as indigenous people, we have uh, had the ability to adapt to manage whether it's the caribou herd or the moose or the, the codfish or the salmon or so forth. But I think that as aboriginal people, we should be recognized because indigenous people were here first before colonialization, but still the collaboration with uh, the science and DFO and our, our band councils and so forth must be collaborative.
0: Hmm. Um, yes, Peggy, you um,
3: We are also a mix of um, urban reserve, so in the big center like Cornerbrook we're also a mix of Mi'kmaq communities which uh, some are like 70 80 percent Mi'kmaq some of the communities are also maybe 50 50 Um, but we have quite a few Mi'kmaq communities that have been there forever and um, it's those communities that sit on that land that makes the connection so if we we have to make sure those communities stay very strong because that's the only way we have a basis to say we're here so we have to look at what's going forward down 10 years down the road and 20 years down the road and those communities need to be strengthened made resilient and and build up on um, all their strengths that they have and it's a very important going forward um, that we invest Uh, In every which way into those communities, so um, you know they can the children can come home learn their culture Mm -hmm. Learn how to uh, live in the the traditional uh, ways the mindset of indigenous people because it is different than mainstream um, uh, people um, and it saves the older people that are leave, being left behind now, living in empty homes, and all their children, our brothers, sisters, cousins, are all living on the mainland just so they can make a living. So we need to make sure that our indigenous communities are strong.
0: Hmm. Now, you, you raise a, a point there, Peggy, about uh, you know the, the variety of, uh, of Mi'kmaq communities we have. We have Corner Brook, and then we have towns of uh, communities of 70, 80 people. Um, Debbie, I wanted to ask you. Uh, back in um, back in uh, around Canada Day, of course, we had those um, terrible discoveries of the um, the uh, the graves out in Kamloops uh, and other places uh, of uh, re- residential school s- students. <laughs> and in Kippens, you said we couldn't have. Uh, a Canada Day celebration in, the, in these circumstances, uh, our people will be offended. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in Stephenville, you also had a different kind of um, a different kind of day. In Cornbrook, however, it was mostly business as usual. The uh, the flags went up to uh, to full mast. Uh, there was a ver- there was very um, a muted observance of that uh, of what had happened. So what uh, what what do we make from that is it you know just um, you know just who's in office at this time or is there something is there something there more profound about how uh, people in this region in Bay George uh, feel about being Mi'kmaq than in perhaps different centers like Corner a more urban mm-hmm. uh, and perhaps less Mi'kmaq place what are your thoughts on that panelists
4: well I like to research things before I make any decisions especially when I'm in a leadership role so when this was all coming down the pipes and it was all being in our, in the public we had learned about it I consulted I consulted with provincial representatives of the government as well as federal representatives and nobody could give me a straight answer they just said oh well this is what's the rest of Canada doing what are you gonna do and I said well I need some answers so then I spoke. Um, sit on a number of other councils and boards, provincially, and I spoke to a, a colleague who is from Kahn River. I said, I'm, I'm struggling here, I said, because I want to really recognize this, uh, you know, cancel the can- not cancel Canada Day, because you can't cancel that we are Canadians, however. I, I didn't feel like that our community should be celebrating on Canada Day. But I couldn't get a straight answer. So this man from Kahn River said to me, Debbie, it takes leadership to make this decision, and you have to make a decision and live by it. So I made the this, this decision, and there were some other lead, leaders in the community. It was kind of resentful that I cancelled the, the games and the fun for Canada Day. But I thought, we have so many more years to celebrate Canada Day. We can't take one day to remember and lay, you know, pay res- respect and recognize what has gone in the past. So I did, as a mayor, I went to council, and uh, we made a decision to let's just take this day as a day of... You know reconciliation, and we did. And I think we, you know, some people probably didn't like it, but you can't worry about that. You said make a decision and move forward and be happy for a decision. I think it's the best decision we ever made because then now September thirty is a you know national day of reconciliation, and I think you just got to show leadership in your communities.
0: Jenny, uh, you uh, you're an artist uh, as part of your many uh, your many talents, and uh, you uh, the grand council flag that hangs in city hall in cornerbrook you had a hand in, in doing it's uh, it's your work so you know cornerbrook um, mm. perhaps you're in a situation to compare the two places on uh, yes. on an issue uh, such as this so what, what are your thoughts about the difference in the way pe- people feel about these things at bay st george uh, from the way they do in cornerbrook
2: well, I had to kind of laugh. He said I had a hand in it, and I literally almost lost a hand over it because I, uh, I, s- I sewed up the flag myself, but I had been adamant about getting that flag there for three years, probably before. four, um, just getting turned down over and over, you know. Reason being that we have so many cultures in Cornerbrook, which I recognize. We have lots of beautiful cultures in Cornerbrook, but we are an indigenous community, right. so it's wonderful to recognize everybody, but... We were there first, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, So when Canada Day came around, I approached our municipality and said, you know, what are we going to do? We have to, you know, how are we going to approach this? I'm here to support you as an indigenous community member. Um, What's the plan? And there was a whole lot of him and and. I mean, like yourself, you you had to do your due diligence and look into it, and I guess they did as well. And I I don't think they could just come to the right answer on it. Mm -hmm. It was very disappointing. I actually made plans to come to Stephenville (laughs) because I said, no, I'm gonna go where I feel most comfortable in this situation. So at the last minute, our wonderful, newly acclaimed board counselor, Sherry Dean, organized a small gathering of uh, the women's group at the community room at Halibu. And so I said, no, I'll stay here in my community and, and support the people that are going to uh, do the right thing that I felt was the right thing. And that's what we did. So it was, it was a big conflict for me that day because even though Cornerbrook is the center, I mean, it's the office for Halibut, I do quite often come to this region for my culture and for, I guess, to feel at home with my Mi'kmaq community.
0: And that's it for the program. Allison Baker is the producer of Bigma Matters. Support our work via patreon.com or by email transfer at Matters at gmail.com. I'm Glenn Wheeler, Emson Ogam.